0: Welcome back to Deconstructing Damsels, where you get a third episode this month. That's like a bonus episode. And I hadn't planned on doing it, but it's freaking Halloween, guys. Yay! Before I met my partner, I was not anti-Halloween. I loved Halloween, don't get me wrong. But I didn't have a Halloween month. When your partner loves Halloween that much, you kind of glom on and just follow along. So, you guys get a bonus episode today. I wasn't sure if I was going to do one, but I was like, I want to do one. Okay, so today's episode will be Tales of Red, which is an anthology put out by Magic Full Press from 2017. I got it for 99 cents about a month ago, and it was a pretty good buy because re- there are some stories in here that I will like love for the rest of my life. It features six short stories about Little Red Riding Hood. One is sci-fi. One has kind of got like almost a film noir type style to it. With a little bit of like bleeding into like realism. You've got three fairy tale, folklore, fable type styles. And one that I call magic realism. I'm going to give you a fair warning for a couple of things in this episode. So if you don't want to listen, you don't have to. But I want you to know. There are some really serious topics mentioned in this. Including like forced pregnancy. And it's a rape analogy. But it's also like forced pregnancies and the world building of it. So it's a pretty tough topic and I'm going to warn you ahead of time when I get to that story but I want you to know so that way if you want to bounce out I completely understand it's one story that really has that but I want you guys to be aware because I have no problem giving a content warning on this because it kind of made me hard on the heart and as much as I love the story so I want you guys to be aware of that And this episode is going to be more of a summary style because, again, there's six stories. I don't want to break them all down because I'd be here for like 18 months. And I'm pretty sure you guys have something else you want to do on Halloween because it's Halloween. Yay. Yay. Okay, sorry. And not all of them feature romance, but some of them feature the morality telling of Little Red Riding Hood. And I should mention, any bells you hear ringing, I can't control. Those are my cats. They are, I've got two cats with bells on their collars. Many of them don't have them, but these two do because I want to make sure I know where they are. They don't try to run away or anything, but one is gray, so I'd like to know where they are in the middle of the night. And the other one I like to have so that way I can tell him apart from another orange and white cat I got. So first we're gonna start with Red Riding Hood Private Investigator by Paul Dellinger. And this is a film noir style. I really liked it. I liked I appreciated what they kinda came up with. I'm not gonna spend a lot a lot of time on it because I've got other stories that have to be broken down way more. But in this case, I'm gonna say that this was like one of my top in this entire anthology, like probably one of my top retellings of Little Red Riding Hood anyway. So in it, you've got Red as a PI and their world, a PI is a character from the fairy tales. Like that's not something that, that, you know, you deal with like Sherlock Holmes and I don't know, Perot and all them, like they're, they're like, they're fairy tales, not like, you know, the normal ones. I just mentioned this in the Rambling Reality episode that'll be coming up later, but it's kind of like the miniseries in Tenth Kingdom, you know, where the realities kind of are flipped and kind of merging, and there's kind of these weird little nods along the way, and there's a lot of meta topics on it, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, but if you want to read a really well written and really well paced story. This is definitely up the the alley for you. I think it's only about like 20 pages or so, Um, maybe a little bit more, but it's got a lot of like really interesting morality tales on Red Riding Hood has to move up. Red solves the cases for people. Like she solved the Goldilocks and the three bears, She saw the three little pigs, which put her on the wolf's radar. And so when Jack Spragans comes in, he's a little boy from Jack and the Beanstalk, and he needs her to deliver these beans to his mom since the wolf is after him and kind of wants to create like this boundary line because the wolf is kind of a known killer. He's not the nicest guy on the planet. He can kind of, I wouldn't call it a werewolf shifting, but he can definitely shift in and out of wherever needed. And she's got this ability to kind of hide in and, and hide away. And this is a good time to talk about what she looks like. I very much imagine her as Buffy in the episode where the council takes away her power, strips her powers away. She's got that kind of vulnerability and belying fragility to her and she wears the outfit but she's a little bit older but it kind of helps her blend in and... and find solutions and stuff faster and that kind of works to her favor because you know people don't expect a little girl to know how to do these things and she's not a little girl 45 but she's probably somewhere in her 20s at this point so she can kind of sift in and out of the the realities of childhood and adulthood she's also friends with jacob grimm as in the grimm brothers and he's a bookstore owner in this universe or he procures stories for interested parties like Red, who loves the Sherlock Holmes and private investigator type. And there's a nice twist on the meta, though, because in the middle of it, as she's looking at the books that he's gotten, she goes, or the story goes, Red looked at the books he gently placed in her hands and paid to them experimentally. It would seem that these two books have elements of kinds of creatures we have in, as you call it, our own world, she observed. If what you suggest is true about some other existence being out there and our unconsciously tapping into it, to pick up these tales, do you suppose that some of these elements are leaking through to ours? And she's talking about ones like Bram Stoker's Dracula and I want to say Frankenstein. And so it's very interesting how it's kind of like meta throughout the story. And it kind of focuses on her journey. Not necessarily to Jack's house and to his obviously dead mother because it's you know Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf but her journey from being not innocent but being somewhat not as worldly a little bit more carefree to having to grow up suddenly and she realizes in the middle of all these chasings and stuff she realizes the clothes she's been wearing aren't the best like they're they're not the best in the fact that they don't really represent her as a person they represent a persona but not her and so she kind of like sheds all these looks and all these processes along the way and it's this really great like meta version of Of what women go through when we have to shed our innocence but also our kinder heart and to be a little bit more cynical and to be a little bit more strong and to have a tougher and thicker skin it's a very nice allegory and you know it's a woman wakening to the dangers and the fall and following society's expectations as she fights against a stalking enemy who doesn't bother to hide intention? Because throughout the thing, he's showing what he wants to do. And the I she packs for the, for protection doesn't actually help because it's a bigger problem than a single, you know, stab to kill. It's having to rearrange society to protect you, as in to see you as a person worth protecting. And it's just this great allegory and this great analogy or whatever the hell it's called i was an english major but you wouldn't know i never quite did really well on that i really should have been a history major but overall really strong story Dellinger does a delin i guess it's delinger does a really great job of mapping out what it's like to be a woman and usually you don't get that from male authors so it's kind of awesome now, the next story is the sci fi story, and it's called Where the Wolf, which is W, period, O, period, L, period, F, period, lead by Josie Dorrens. And this story blew me away as a sci fi story. It was probably one of the top ones I've read. The character is Pixie, and Pixie is a very strong, very opinionated young woman. She's probably around, I don't know, 17, 18. She's on that cusp of womanhood and letting go of childhood. They talk a lot about, they talk a lot about what happens when humanity ends and what happens when people are forced to live in space and they leave earth and they leave their gravity and their groundedness and what kind of makes a family so great. It actually reminds me a little bit of X in Girl in Space in an audio drama that I highly recommend and i to it. But in this book, Pix realizes something's wrong. She realizes that things are not as they should be and someone needs to fix that somehow. I really enjoy the way that Dorans writes the relationship between the grandfather and Pixie because it kind of empties up that place between the lack of grandmother and the lack of almost mother even though the mother is very much involved in Pixie's life, she's still not a major part because there's a pretty interesting parallel between like Millennials and the Silent and Greatest Generation versus like the Boomers and X depending on where that may fall and in that the grandfather's obviously the silent and the greater generation greatest generation you know he's got a lot of that get it done you know be resourceful go against authority if you need it like not in a bad way just think about things clearly whereas her mother within the story is called the empty generation because at the age of three she was taken from her mom and dad she was put into like a boarding facility where on the ship where they didn't have any contact really with each other for quite a while and she kind of had that familial bond snapped so she doesn't have that same empathy as kind of a lot of moving things forward and self-interest and also interest in her kid because Pix was made in a test tube and her mom didn't really come visit her until she was three months old before that if a baby dies they just shot him into space which they still do that with people but When a third of the babies go to that, that's pretty yucky. And there's something that's very familial about Pixie and what she sees and what she hears. Because she says in connection to the way that there is no like strong community, the strong bond, the, the bond that Pixie and those like her really want. These things were skimmed over and crammed into the dark, dusty corners of the text we were taught. Truth is, we didn't need to be told. We have all lived it with the consequences. Many of us are far closer to our grandparents, if we're lucky enough to have them, than our genetic parents. When we aren't angry with the system, we pity those caught in the results. And I think that very much encompasses a lot of the millennial and older Z reaction to what's going on in the world as populism rises and... Cosmopolitanism is kind of like brushed aside and globalism is kind of like, oh, no, that's bad. You need to stay in your little place, you know, so we can have a little bit more control. But Pixie's mom does actually fight for her a couple of different times. And one of them is she gets her involved in this project where Pix has to wear a red cape. And the red cape has got extra gravity on it. So it kind of makes her legs stronger because in the world of spaceship craft as they search for another version of earth they find that people don't know have the same you know strong bones and they don't have the same kind of things that they need and so I think it's really important that they talk about that Um, I'm going to say that I really like the ending I really like the lead up I like the the way the government is presented as almost an enemy of the people based on what they can get out of it I'm going to say that if you like the movie Pandorum in some way you're probably gonna like this story because of how they get off the ship and what happens it's got a very strong message there is a love interest pixie's boyfriend and her mom's boyfriend are part of the resistance but to me the major core of the story is the three generations of a family and what happens when you tamper with the bonds of that kind of relationship highly recommend one of my favorites hands down if you can you need to read it and kind of figure out what's going on because I think it's a good view of the world as we live it in a different place different time it kind of reminds me of that that episode of Doctor Who with the space whale if you have watched that there's a little bit of that kind of city mentality of it or maybe Wally, mixed in with the the whole world that Cakes is so involved in and her large sunflowers which is an amazing kind of theme throughout my hands-down favorite of this anthology no questions asked them work out and and create a really nice positioning so heads up this is a story that has a really difficult talking point and I want you guys to know that ahead of time it's the one about the rape the forced pregnancies so if you want to skip ahead you know give me about five minutes and the next story will be up if not please remember self-care is important and it's okay if you're just done after this I, I understand and I was really Concerned about talking about this one and how to talk about it, but I wanted to make sure it was documented because I think it's a really important topic on how women move from the innocence of not being assaulted to the reality of living with assault every day of your life afterwards. So this is Yellow as the Harvest Moon by Kelly Honaker, I think. And it's in a fairy tale style, more of a modern retailing, you know. So it's got a little bit more of a, it's set in like a an older era of villaging and stuff, but it's got more of a Retta is Granny's granddaughter, and she's coming to see Granny. She's a young woman on the cusp of puberty and moving from innocence to prey for many men. Uh, Gran is particularly close to Retta, who has the same color hair, even though the rest of her doesn't look like her at all. And this bright red mane is just like the thing that stands out when people look at her alongside those harvest moon eyes. And those moon eyes are the signifiers of, you know, the heritage and the heredity of what really happened. But Retta, you know, talks to Granny. They have a couple of conversations. And then about halfway through the story, Retta becomes much more wolf-like. And the eyes always reminded me of the eyes from, um... The movie Wolf with Michelle Pfeiffer when she has those yellow eyes, that's how I see Retta's eyes, even though that doesn't look like Retta, that's the one thing that looks like her to me. And, you know, it she sheds the body of a child into womanhood without permission. And here's how they describe it. Faster and faster, I zip by the trees. My hair stops at the waist, but now I fill it up my buttocks, twisting around my thighs and reaching towards my shins. My hair is growing and I don't know why. I don't care why. I don't stop. I can't stop. If anything, I must go faster. Pumping, pumping, my legs churn beneath me. Now the hair is between my toes, but I feel no alarm. The scarlet waves dancing about my head stretches across my entire body, covering my skin in a a luxurious coat. My hands are changing, and so are my ears. My waist feels smaller, my senses clearer. I feel I'm being born. I feel I'm being introduced to the body I should have had all along. I scream at the sky in ecstasy, but the, the shrill cry of a woman isn't what I hear. The howl that escapes my throat is low and beautiful, seductive, and clearly canine. So she's become a wolf without really her permission, something she's been putting off as long as she can. But when the tides turn, when when something tells her she has to do it, she must do it. And her background on becoming a wolf is really... This is that, that icky part I was talking about. There's another icky part, but I'll get to it in a minute. But once upon a time, Graham became enthralled by a wolf. A man that could, you know, turn into a wolf. And he was a mystic drugging that tore love and safety from her life. The provincial girl facing the darker, wilder world. Because the wolf eventually killed her parents and left her pregnant. So she had to raise a child, which was Retta's mom. Who showed no outward signs of the wolf, but all those genes slammed into Retta. So Retta was very clearly a wolf and... Grand knew at the minute that her granddaughter was born, and so she had to do what she had to do. And, you know, along the way, while Granny was pregnant and, you know, out long after, before her daughter was old enough to really need her quite so much, she learned to defend herself from future visits by a guy that was there that was to hunt the wolf, kill them. And... She learned, she trained, she became stronger. I kind of think she was a little bit like Buffy in the way that, you know, she trains to kill vampires and demons, that mindset of, okay, I have to do this, these are the steps, stuff like that. And then, of course, there's a little bit of the Karate Kid because of the way the mentor was described. As Granny ages, she doesn't despair the loss of youth. She enjoys her life. The only thing that she really will miss is the fact she won't be there for Retta forever because, you know, Retta is her heart. And when Retta does that change, you know that i just described she meets her grandfather a sleazy guy who sexualizes his barely 13 year old granddaughter he just talks about her and it's just like uh and then he sets off and threatens her for running in this territory so he tells her to go far far away and he's killed his pups before he's killed his progeny before because territory is everything this guy is just the grossest guy ever she's frightened but she looks beyond the words and realizes she has to gain control of shift she has to become stronger she has to become deeper she has to become the wolf and she can't run from that and you know she she takes that that persona on and she learns to accept it which of course makes her grandmother very sad because her grandmother never wanted that for her but that's kind of an unfortunate side effect of living in the world where you're other where you can't fit in no matter what you do. And as her grandfather stalks, seduces, murders, and generally creates chaos, Greta looks to win. She's on that cusp of maturity and sees the consequences clearly. She saw some of them before, but after her grandfather does a couple of things that are just grotesque, she knows that her mother has no idea, but the Harvest Moon eyes are her signature giveaway, and she sees that, and she knows that, and she's learning to see the signs and how to deal with them. And she knows she can't lose in this. She knows that her life depends on winning while her youth and her grandmother's age battle out she finds an inner strength and she doesn't allow him to count her like she's not going to fall in line just because he says do something even if it's got dire consequences to it she can't and in the end she will carry on her grand's legacy of fighting back while training future generations to be wary of the instincts and the evil that were lurking within like how to balance that how not to become like her grandfather I would say her grandfather reminds me of, if anyone's ever read Kelly Armstrong's Otherworld series, the mutts in that are very similar. I can definitely see them fitting in in that world. I can also see her fitting in on the Mercy Thompson series. I can definitely see her fitting into the um, pack and you know how there's that line that you can't really cross. So I think that's important. But the story was a hard one to talk about because of the the topics on hand. And so I kind of wanted to be mindful of that and not give everything away, but also give fair warning about what I found. And it's, you know, it's hard because it reminds me of the power imbalance pregnancies that you hear about, where it's lust for the guy and power, and then it's the rape of the woman, and oh, there's just so many personal topics on that, not from me personal, but personal within my immediate family. That it comes very hard sometimes to handle, but I think you should. The Little Red Riding Hood tale already has a lot of that, that sexualization built into it, but you know, it's even harder and and more graphic in some ways in the story, but it's definitely worth reading, but just be mindful. And if it's not something you can handle, I completely understand. The next one that I'm going to talk about is The Red Curse by Lane Ost. And it's more in the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale. A little bit more like the Snow Queen meets Little Red Riding Hood. It's a weird little gap, but it seems to work. So a witch has spelled a community turned into wolves at night to chase and prey on humans that come within their domain because a young woman, Rosalind, killed the witch's werewolf lover. Rosalind left to to become a mercenary in order to protect those that she was close to um, and it's not that far from the village that she grew up in and then along the way you know when she finds out she has to go back she meets up with her childhood love interest Felix and over time well not over time but over like you know a couple of pages they meet up with a white witch named Cassia and she explains the bare truth of her dark sister Lorna who cast the spell to get back at Roz. I wasn't saying you shouldn't have done what you did. But I'm preparing you for the darkness that my sister is willing to unleash on you. She isn't very happy. I've been winding rid the world of her darkness for some time. I love her, she is my sister, but she has hurt more people than she has helped. Cynically, this makes me think that Cassia wants all the power because she mentions to Roz that there's darkness even within the whitest of witches. Because you can't eradicate that from somebody. And she knows that Roz has a fair amount of her as well. And when the final battle is done, Lorna is dead and magic heals a broken relationship. But it feels empty and i say this as someone who is reading this as a love story because oh my god i love the snow queen like growing up the snow queen was one of my favorite tales ever like i don't know if you'd call it a fairy tale folklore whatever the hell you want to call it fable it was my favorite one or one of my favorite ones along with like snow white and red rose the nightingale the little match girl thumbelina the little mermaid like i, I was a very bloodthirsty child apparently I wanted this one to work because I thought it had that ability, and it just didn't. And it felt a little bit empty, and I couldn't find Felix and Roz as a real couple. I couldn't really fall into them because it felt rushed. Like, there was no emotional payoff. In the last episode, Little Red, I said that I love emotional foreplay, and this didn't have any at all. Like, there was none. I couldn't follow anything. I couldn't believe them and nothing worked. And I loved Rosalind to start with. I loved Ross. She was my kind of character. She was this mercenary. And I love those kind of women because I don't think they get enough attention. But it just didn't work. And then the flipped outer exterior for good and bad. You know, the White Witch was completely like black as night. And then the Lorna was black of heart and white as snow. And I just, it felt weird for me. I, I just, it didn't work for me and I think the character motivation was missing because the device with the wolf spell was amazing. I was so down for that. I thought that was a really interesting form of punishment, become the thing that you destroyed, but it it just it didn't work if. So <sighs> Now, the fifth story in the anthology is called Sharp Claws by James Agee Jr. It's more of a fable. You know, it's more of like a, a Grimm's fable, more than like a fairy tale, like the way it, the way the narration is set up throughout the story. And it starts out with a granddaughter accusing a wolf of killing her grandmother, tying it up, and talking as she prepares to kill the wolf without an ounce of proof. And it's because the grandmother had so changed this young woman from who she was to what she could be because her grandmother realized that her granddaughter was scared of her shadow because her granddaughter would never go see her in the woods. And so she eventually kind of helped trick her granddaughter into, you know, going for bravery and, and going and facing fear. And that's totally good and it's totally realistic and I like it, but you know, that felt like more of the story than anything else um and over time animals start to come to their garden for help and for looking for things and as a as a person that deals with feral cats outside and kind of teaching them to trust humans that was like my major favorite moment of the story but then you find out that the grandmother is dead and The granddaughter assumes that it was the wolf because the granddaughter was at the grocery store, which I couldn't quite put a a world building on this because it's somewhere between like 1895 general store and going to the local grocery store. I don't know. It just rang a little bit strange for me to follow. And, you know, it's a tale of grieving, which I love grief because we all have people that we love and we miss and we blame other outside circumstances for when they die and misdirecting anger and trying to return to what was when actions settled. But it didn't feel like it should have been in this anthology. I feel like it should have been in another one. And the granddaughter doesn't ring true on, like, the beginning, the frayed one, to the one talking to the wolf that says, Grandmother was a kind woman. She was a much better woman than I. If you had bitten her, she would have scolded you and then made you an apple pie to say that she was sorry for yelling. I'm the type of person that if you bite them, they bite back. I told her to be careful not to get too close to you. She didn't listen. She was too nice to believe anything good could be so evil. The wolf only bit her because she was around a wild wolf. Um... I'm not going to give the story plot away because I tried to do that, but it, just, it, it didn't work. Like, I don't know the whole world, it it, just, it did not work within the anthology of what I was reading, which is a shame because I wanted to like it. So my honest opinion, read the story, but don't read it within the anthology. Like, ign- like skip it and then go back when you need to read about grief because it's more of a mention on grief than anything else. And the last story is Hunter's Wolf by K.R. Thompson. And it's kind of like a fairy tale in the once upon a time format almost meaning like there's there's spells and layers and, and that kind of you know world building there and it's an interesting device because the star lovers are only part of the plot the other one is all about the fairies and how their world and their hierarchy is creating havoc and chaos in other areas and it kind of also introduced the Huntsman as someone with amnesia and so the the girl in the relationship the wolf has to find him and it starts out that the um, the two women, which is Mary, which is the woman love interest, and Granny, her grandmother, are from the Wolves People clan. And according to the story, these people had the unique ability of changing into wolves to hunt. As they grew older, they were locked into their wolf form For longer periods of time until eventually they remain wolves until the end of their days. Which I really like that as a shifter story. That's really awesome, actually. I like that kind of idea of of humanity kind of fading away and then dying as... But, you know, they wanted a blessing because Granny was getting older. And I I don't know if... I think it's Mary. M-A-I-R-I... So I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to pronounce it Mary. So Mary wants to have fairy blessing for her union with her beau Alec, who they've been together forever and they've always been, you know, kind of the group. And the fairy blessing goes awry. And then the the fairy is promoted to high court. And so in the meantime, there's this really big problem, this really huge issue about, you know, fixing all of this. And the court structure reminded me a little bit of Disney Sleeping Beauty, fairies meets a dash of melissa Mar's wicked lovely court structure in the fact that like the fairies are colored and you know they they have their own areas of expertise blah 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 but also the fact that like there's very clear elevations of either you're on the high court or you're a subject there, there is no in between and that reminded me a lot of wicked lovely it's been about a decade since i read wicked lovely but that's kind of what it reminded me of And there's a scene where in one of the awry mixed blessings Mary's Mary's cloak actually plays a pretty important part not every part not every story even mentioned the cloak but this one had a really good important part just like the where the wolf leads does and in this one Mary stood up from the ground And quickly fastened the cloak's hood around her neck I should have the ability to change back whenever I'd like But I can't without this cloak You see when the fairy spell went wrong The air went red And I tried to cover my face with my cloak So I wouldn't breathe it in It didn't work But it did trap some magic in the cloth Enough that it can bring me back to who I was She frowned But it's getting weaker And it's taking longer and longer to work now It won't be long until I'm changed forever Just like Granny And so there's a very clear indication Of the dangers in almost a natural magic versus the forced magic of a fairy but it kind of felt flat as a romance I I couldn't get the emotional investment like you know like I just said about the emotional foreplay there was none there because the relationship had already started before they were on the hunt and I appreciated that but I just wanted a little bit more connection almost I I couldn't really care about you know Mary and Alec and I couldn't really care about Granny's sacrifice I couldn't there was no payout in that I was much more interested in the relationship between the women and the relationship within the fairy realm because i think the fairy realm would have been far more interesting for me personally it's not a favorite i would probably give it a solid b plus because i felt like the the plot line of the fairies was also running for the was kind of like undercurrenting for the star-crossed lovers plot and it felt a little bit too contrived and easily solved so it's not really a high favorite but it's a good read if you just want something light and a little bit you know fun Thank you so this week's featured podcast I'm going to promote Myth and Legends by Jason Weiser I hope I said that right so he does a great job of compiling different myths and legends from around the world not just the ones we know and kind of finding the common threads and talking through them I like binged for about 10 episodes uh, like last week and I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed how the different stories leveled up and the different takes and the different areas because I love folklore from a lot of different places not just you know the Grown Brothers or not Hans Christian Anderson or anything like that like I actually enjoy like a strong you know collection of of words and seeing how things connect you know he also adds in a, a mythical creature of the week and no I don't mean my creature Sven who's on the podcast occasionally I mean actual mythological creatures he talks about them describes what they are you know how they are what they are it's pretty fun, and I it's got, you know, some unknown stories to me. I enjoyed learning about Ragnar, the Viking King. Um, I can't say his name because I can't even pronounce German, much less, you know, Vikingese. But he died in a pretty inventive way, and the lesson, of course, the biggest lesson of all is always listen to your wife. You can find Myth and Legends on Twitter at Myth Podcast, and I'm mentioning Twitter because that's where I usually am the most. With my retail schedule, Twitter is easier for me to access than any other area. That's why I usually focus on it. I definitely think that that you guys should listen to the podcast. I think you should. There's stuff from Japanese, um, like Central Africa. You know, more like you know the Congo area. Uh, there's stuff from Egypt, and the one the the ones about that are pretty interesting and Horace. There's also ones from Native American, so that's my recommendation for the week. Myths and Legends. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I had a ball making it. I enjoyed reading all these stories, even the ones I didn't enjoy that much. I really en- enjoyed the anthology. I think that if you ignore some of the really bad grammar and parts of it and just kind of like let it float you on by, it's a really good source. There's some amazing potential there and there are some writers that I'm absolutely going to find more of. I hope you listen to myths and legends because it's awesome and you can find me on Twitter at damsels podcast. Like I said, in the future podcasting, Twitter is the best way to contact me just because I'm always on the move. If you would like to email me, it's damselspodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate comments. I appreciate some feedback. If you'd like to review me, Thank you! If you would like to sign up for my Patreon, it's again patreon.com damselspodcast or you can look up Deconstructing Damsels. I'm hoping to have another episode out in the next mm, week and a half or so to kind of stay on schedule. I've got a couple of books that I want to talk about and I'm going to edit out a couple of more to put on my Patreon because I'm going to force Sven to read more because I'm just that nice of a partner. I want to thank you guys again so much for listening. You guys gave me 500 downloads. That was amazing to me because I didn't know anyone was actually listening or, or finding any kind of interest. And special shout out to the Get Grim podcast for you know, promoting me on Twitter unexpectedly. It just made my heart swell a little bit because I enjoy the podcasting community a lot. The hashtag Pottern Family and the hashtag Lady Pod Squad are full of really good indie programs that you guys should probably listen to. Most of the ones that I actually promote are from those two hashtags but they're and they're indie and they're smaller and you know, they're the heartbeat of what makes our podcasting community so awesome. So I want to say I'll see you next time. I don't know which book I'm going to talk about because I've read about three of them. So I got one to choose from. But it won't be a shifter. I'm going to give you a break from shifter books for probably about another month. Because then it becomes Christmas time. And who doesn't want a shifter? Thanks everybody. Bye.